This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator. Okay, so this bike says she is struggling with her place in the motorcycle community. Well, she says she hasn't peaked yet, but she's having a little epiphany. Okay. Oh, that maybe life itself is the peak. Hmm, interesting. In my experience, I found that. That's why I just translate. Not allowed to have opinions. Got it. Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. On August 25th. I'm the most brutal, vicious, ruthless champion that's ever been. The most anticipated original series is here. You may know Tyson. You're the heavyweight champion of the world, young, rich, and black. But do you know Mike? The minute you get too big, they gotta cut you down. Starring Trevante Rhodes. Um, I am Mike. And Harvey Keitel. They'll love you. As much as they fear you. Now I'm really going to have some fun. Mike, series premiere August 25th, only on Hulu. Tonight's panorama focuses on the terrace gangs who follow one small second division club, Millwall, in London's Dockland. Deliberately, we're looking at this violence. I've travelled far and wide across the great divide. I've even sailed the seven seas. I've orbited in space in almost every place. I've even climbed the Pyrenees. But no longer will I roam. There is no place like Hello everyone, welcome back to another edition of That Mill Podcast. You've got myself, Omer, my regular co-host, Mickey. Mickey, say hello. Hello, fellas. You all right? Today we've got two great guests, or two at the moment. I'm sure we'll get three, hopefully, later on in the show. We're joined by Tony from The Drive Home with TT. How are you, mate? Good evening. And we've also got Kai from Mill Fan TV. Kai, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So yeah, I mean, firstly, I guess we'll cross over the first game that we had after our last show. And that was a 2-0 defeat at home to Middlesbrough. Mickey, what did you think of that after us saying that hopefully if we get two wins, we can sneak back into the playoffs? We kind of shot ourselves in the foot after Middlesbrough, didn't we? We were shit. <laughs> there, is no, there is no other... I don't think there's any other explanation for it. We just, I don't know, we looked tired, we looked haggard, we just looked, you know, we, we just didn't really... From the Charlton game, you're expecting us to be come on and, and have some full power running in it, but we just... We seem knackered, and and I think these games going back to back are just, you know, when you're coming back from not being fully match fit, 
I just think that, you know, you've got issues. But, you know, we'll wait and see. We'll, you know, tick the box, move on. Um, and I think that's the only way it can go now. Is each game is an individual and you just, once it's finished, that's it. Have your moan and then look forward to the next game a couple of days later. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I think creatively we've not really been there just yet. I think since we come back, obviously we had scored a couple against Derby and then obviously we lost 3-2. But I think we huffed and puffed, especially in the game last week on Wednesday. Tony, I, I guess I'll come to you now, mate. What did you think of the Wednesday's defeat at home to Middlesbrough? I think Ryan shot on wiping the ball clean for about 30 seconds each time he uh, each time he got the ball for a throw-in. Just completely wiped us off of uh, any kind of... We couldn't get any momentum going. And it's been... Since the shutdown, there's, there's, there's no doubt in that creatively-wise, in the final third, we struggle. The disappointing thing against Middlesbrough is we create... You know, we conceded chances to a team that a bereft of confidence, you know, they, although Neil Warnock's come in there and, and slightly turned them around, they had a couple of bad results before us and you think that we should be able to kick on and, and it was disappointing that we just didn't, we just didn't seem at the races and, and it just shows you that, you know, I see a stat today that every team in the championship can either go up or go down. There's no one secure, there's no one guaranteed to be in the division next year in the championship and that just shows you how tight and how close it is that on any given match day, any team can turn over another team. So even Middlesbrough coming into that game um, out of confidence, we're out of confidence, really. You know, they, they turned up and we didn't. And, that, and that's all you really need. And, and I think the big thing for, for championship-wise is that when you do create chances, forget there, there are a few exceptions in, in terms of Brentford and Leeds that create far more chances than the rest of the division. But most teams from, and I'll include even West Brom in this, that if you create chances, you've got to take them. And whether that be from set pieces, whether that be from, from open play, if you create those chances, most teams get five or six per, per game. You've got to take them. And, and, and we just didn't against Middlesbrough. So many corners, threatening corners, you know, Hutchinson and Cooper on the end of it. They weren't Murray Wallace on, on with, with one that just didn't hit the target. You've got to make the most of them. And we just didn't do that against Borough. Yeah, I agree. I think you're spot on there as well. I think when you're playing Ben Thompson in the front three, so to speak, you kind of got an issue there, haven't you? You've got no Bodvars in the fable, no O'Brien. Creatively, you can tell we're missing that last spark up front. And the same with Bennett. Obviously, he came in back the whole game on Saturday. And I think you can see the difference of having three out and out attackers on the pitch. Uh, Kai, again, I think we'll come to you as well, mate. Uh, Neil Warnock came to the den. He's obviously gone to Middlesbrough to save their season and done a job in us, didn't he? Yeah, 100%, I think. Um, he set up just, just the way we don't really like to play. He was, he was defensive. You know, he, did, he did play a bit like Harris did, and he looked to counter. And I think every single player didn't win their, their battles on the day, and, that, and that's where we, we, uh, we were let down. But, you know, after the Charlton, after the Charlton win, like Nicky said, you would have thought they'd have been coming in full of confidence, and, you know, we would have thought we could have beaten Barrow. But our, our home form since the, since the restart, and really since, since Reading at home, I think, has been awful, and I think you know with a couple of wins in there, we've definitely been a playoffs, and I think that's what we're really lacking since the since then. Agree, mate. I think we all had the doom and gloom after that game. People citing the home form since the turn of the year, citing that we've not really won too many games at home. I think it's seven without a win at home, and obviously looking at the two fixtures we had, we was kind of hoping for two wins, but we will go to Hull. Results go away over the week. And we get a 1-0 win thanks to Ryan Leonard. And somehow, we're still only two points away from the playoffs. So, I mean, it's tantalising, isn't it? It's that middle way of just kind of that false hope constantly being there for us. And we said that if we get two wins, we'll be in the playoffs. But we only got one and we're still two points away. 
Yeah, I think I think realistically now what we've got now three games left. I think realistically we've got to win every game to stand a chance. I mean, you look at you only need to look at the league, and it is so. I mean, this year is or this season it is so open. You know, I mean, anyone really can nick it. I mean, you know, even the top two, there's a chance that you know that could swap. I mean, let's just pray that Leeds cock up the last couple of games and they slip out of the top two and they come into the into the playoffs and then hopefully we can get them at Wembley and then you know that that would be the the result or or even uh Cardiff gets them I suppose. I mean if it, it's the other teams there and if if we're not gonna get in there then I think Cardiff probably gonna do because they've had a blind in the end end of the season. But it's the bottom of the table you want to start looking at. And that's that's where it's probably the first year it's been really open. I mean, okay, Barnsley's knackered to a degree. I suppose they could possibly just get out of it. But, you know, Charlton's not safe. Even with Wigan coming down, Stoke, Birmingham, etc., they're, they're not safe. They're, there is a chance that, you know, those bottom two, three sides get a good run on the last couple of games and uh, and it could be all interesting. I think it's just a typical championship. I mean, it's what we love about it. I know Tony said it about, you know, and no one's safe, no one's guaranteed anything. And I think that's what makes, for me, the championship the best division probably out there, if I'm honest with you. It's like the competitiveness of it, the edge to the games, especially when there's a crowd. Maybe without the crowd, it's not quite been there. Uh, but that's a topic for another day. But yeah, I think I agree with you. Obviously, I think Leeds might just go this year. And to be honest with you, if kind of sorry to see him go, but at the same time, Quite look forward to seeing them in the Premier League and hopefully get a few pastings in their weeks out there. But yeah, I think, obviously, like I said about the whole game, Ryan Leonard popped up with a goal. Uh, I'll put out to the two guests that we've got. Ryan Leonard popping up with a 1-0 winner, 30 yards out in the second minute of the game. Who was thinking, what is he doing now when he's shooting? I've, I've got to be honest, I've, I've liked Leonard since um, Rowett took over. I think he's really started to, to come into his own. No one expects him to bang one in from that distance, to be honest. And I don't think even he expects himself to score. However, he is known for scoring absolute crackers at South End. So he's got it in his game. He just hasn't really shown it at the den. But I don't think that he's really played in the advanced position that he has done in the last couple of games that he started. He's played in kind of a central attacking midfield position, which he's, not, he's never done under Harris. Because we always play 4-4-2 and, and both of our central midfielders tend to sit deep and expect the, the wide players and the two strikers to, to create everything. So he's never really had the opportunity to play in and around the striker. Um, you know, obviously he had the chances against Derby where we had the one-on-one, a great through ball by Smith, um, which was well saved. But I, I like I, I really do like Ryan Leonard. And, and you look at the other players around him with, with, with Woods and, and, and a central midfield that we've got. We've got players that, that can create. You know, we have got... If we just play more attacking football. If we try and play more possession in their half, we will create something. And, you know, what an absolute fantastic finish by Leonard. Top right-hand corner. I guarantee if he tried to hit 10 times, he's going to probably score one out of 10. So we'll take the one to... And it was a game, like I said, in terms of taking your chances in the championship, it was a game, It was a goal that would have won any game and deservedly won, won us the three points there, to be fair. To go in front that early, you could just try to settle the players. I mean, obviously, Hull had their game plan of trying to hit us on the counter-attack. And I think a couple of times their goalkeeper tried to play over the top and catch us out, and they nearly did, to be fair. But yeah, with Leonard in particular, it's good to see him get a run of games and it's hopefully an opportunity now. I think one thing I'm impressed with him always is he looks after the ball. He kind of carries it well. He seems to shield players off and seems to do all right with it. At times, his passing might be a bit here or there, but hopefully with a goal like that, a confidence booster, 
I don't see why he couldn't play the next couple of games and kick on really and see what he can do for us. When I look at the Middlesbrough game, we played two holding midfielders, you could argue, Williams and Woods. Whereas now you've got Lennon next to Woods, maybe more of a balance there. What do you reckon about that guy? Um, yeah, I think uh, Williams and Woods are just, they, they're just basically two of the same players, aren't they really? Um, they both like to hold, both like to pass the ball around, but we need that little bit more creativity in the midfield. And one thing we've lacked this year is um, is the midfield connecting to the to the strikers. And I think that's where that's where they're just kind of, Leonard and Thompson, they both give you that work rate, just a bit more higher up the pitch and, and get things going um, a bit more. And it's it's the players that, you know, Bennett and, and Jed can can link up well with and it, and it takes a strain off them to uh, to create stuff as well. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think that's it. I think, you know, we're still still in there. I mean, we'll ask the question, guys. You look at the fixtures. You've got Derby in there still. You've got Cardiff in there. You've got Swansea, Preston. Some of them are playing each other. Are we going to get in there? Are we going to win our games and maybe sneak in? What's your gut feeling? It's a difficult one. I think I'd like to. I'd like to think we are. But um, you know, I think I'd much prefer to sneak in on the last day than than, than be in there with sort of two games to go and have to have to stick it out because I think to go in there on the last day would just be you know wouldn't have to do anything else. It'd be like a the Bristol Rovers game all over again in League One. But I think it's going to be tough. But the last two games, they're, they're so winnable. The QPR and, and Huddersfield game, you know, the Blackburn, the Blackburn one really does um, does define our season, I think, because if we beat them, then they're out of it, really. And if they beat us, then I think we're going to find it tough too. I think they even think they might have an outside chance, even though they're deep down in 12th place. That's probably the last side you look at in the group uh, with 60 points. That You know, they're four points behind Cardiff. If Cardiff drops on points, I think... You know, you look at Derby in particular, they've got Leeds to play still. They've got Cardiff, I think, as well. So the next the, next, the midweek fixtures will be will 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 set the picture up because Cardiff have got Derby, that's sixth feet tenth. Mm-hmm. Forest have got Swansea, that's fifth seventh. Brentford have got Preston, that's third the eighth. We've obviously got Blackburn ninth feet twelfth and, and Bristol City, the only team, and they're they're probably they've got the easiest fixture in, in terms of they've got Stoke. And even, um, I think it's even West Brom versus Fulham. So the, this midweek set of fixtures will go a long way to, to deciding it. And, you know, it's one of those things where nearly every game at the, end, at the end of the season is a must win. You've got to look at everyone being a cup final. But if we, Blackburn have been a, a, a side we've struggled to beat. We've really struggled against them. But they're without Bradley Dack. And I think he's absolutely huge for for Blackburn so if we can they are vulnerable from set pieces if we can like I said we're going to create chances it's just a matter of if we take them or not and if we do if we win this game obviously if we win it everyone else will win and we'll still be two points behind it because that is the middle way but I think if we win it we're within within a chance if we lose it I I absolutely think we're out of the race because there's too many teams playing each other there's too many points that will go one way or the other so we have to, we have to win on um, on Wednesday night. Uh, sorry, Tuesday night. Yeah, you mentioned. I think Tony Mowbray as a manager, we've always seen struggle against as well. I remember him being the Coventry manager when we, they beat us four nil first game of the season a few years ago. He had Adam Armstrong again then, and obviously I think he scored a great goal against Ford as well. But yeah, I think Tony Mowbray as a manager just seems to know how to play against us. So it makes a great viewing. It's I'm kind of shocked we still got a chance. I thought when we came back from from the the break, obviously we had Derby at home, thinking if we get a win here. We're going to be in the mix. We're going to run a games. We lose to Derby. We draw against Barnsley. And then we somehow still got a chance. We lose to Middlesbrough the other day. And we somehow still got a chance, even though when you look at it, you go, we need two wins this week. So, yeah, it, it's three cup finals. If you look at it, I think if we win all three games, like you said, Mickey, earlier, we've got a chance, haven't we? 
Yeah, I think we have. I mean, tomorrow will be interesting because obviously you've got a couple of early kickoffs. Um, I think the first one's at five, isn't it? and then two at six, and then four at 7.45. I just think it's down to who, you know, whether or not we turn up. If we turn up and actually want the result, then I think we're okay. If we turn up and uh, like we did against Middlesbrough, thinking, we're, you know, we've got this sealed up, we don't need to try that hard, I think they just end up turning us over. Um, you need to just come out like we did for Charlton. If we go out there on all attack, then, you know, we we stand a, a better chance of, of getting a result rather than we just sit back and think, oh, well, we're just trying to hold the game up. But when Gary goes all out, we seem to we seem to get a result um, a lot better. So, yeah. Evening, Phil. You mentioned Phil joined us. Hi, hi mate. You all right? You just spoke about the last couple of games. I was going to put you on the spot straight away and go, are we going to make the playoffs or not? My, my heart says yes and my head says no. Yeah. <laughs> That's me all over, isn't it? That's it. <laughs> yeah, probably. I, I think we've just got too much to do, to be honest. And we haven't won at home for whatever it is, eight, nine games. You know, are we going to suddenly start winning, you know, whatever it is, two or three that we've got left at home that we need to win? I think they're finding it hard without the fans at home. I think a few of the games we had, if we'd have had the fans here, I think we would, we would have got the result we wanted. Um, I think the refs aren't under pressure to penalty. Was it the free kick call with Cooper the other day, the foul on Cooper the other day? I think if we had a crowd there, we would have got that. And I think a few other games that we've played at home where if we'd have had a crowd there, we would have definitely got the results. And I think the boys would have got G'd up on the back of the fans being there. So it can't be easy not playing playing in an empty stadium. It can't be easy. I think the only thing is, everyone's got the same situation. That's the thing. And that's the tough one to take when you're watching it. But I think in our case, it is more of a situation where if you don't have the den crowd with you, I think compared to other teams that obviously, whether the fans are there or not, they play the same style of football. But if you watch us play, a lot of the players do react to the crowd a lot, I think. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if I'm wrong there, but in my opinion, when I watch the games, I do think that. Now the players have said it. The, the players, are, uh, the players have said it. Gary Rowett said it, and and you know it's the, the case when even Sky commentators. I, I, I think it was the, the the Borough game where they were talking about the fact that the, the ground when it's when it's rocking is is a difficult place. To, and and everyone knows that when we're behind. And to be fair, when we're against our own boys, you know when we do criticise, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But when we do get get against our players it really can have that effect on them so they you know they, they get their heads yeah. down and, and they don't play so it, it can go one of two ways and to be fair the fact we haven't won at home if we'd have taken those if we'd have gone, gone away from the den eight wins you know could you imagine the last three home games we've still not won the den would have started to turn a little bit so it, it may be a blessing in disguise the fact that we haven't been there because if we haven't seen a, a like one thing you would say is there's no way the Middlesbrough performance is going to happen at the den if there's fans in it we would not allow them to to be walking around the pitch and, and not putting in the effort but um, I, I think that of all grounds in the championship more than any we're going to we're going to miss the fans being there and and, and that has shown I think even opposition players turn up when you've got 17, 18 year old Sibley scoring a hat trick. Does he score a hat trick in front of a full den crowd? I mean, you know, you ask the question, obviously, he's coming there about the, you know, the, int- the intimidation factor, so to speak. So, but yeah, I think it is a talking point. What do you reckon, Kai? Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, you've got them players that either they either sink or they, um, or they, they have a fight or flight, really. And I think, yeah, that Louis Sibley, he wouldn't have scored a hat trick. I think he probably would have. It's a difficult one. I think, 
he might have he might have shown his class, but I think uh, the, the the atmosphere and the and the crowd definitely would have tried to shut him down more. And Wayne Rooney would have got an absolute um, mouthful. So I don't think they would have performed to the the same standards that they did against us then. I don't think you can take away from Sibley. I think no. Sibley is a is a class is a class act in the making. You can't take it away. But they were fairly you know easy goals as such to a degree, even for him. I mean, he just. You know, I think he had three shots, three goals, and off he goes. And and Rooney just controlled that game um, with his experience, his knowledge. And I think that if we had a full crowd there, East or, or you know, East Block, West Block would have absolutely annihilated Rooney. Um, and he probably wouldn't have been so confident to to get, you know, get into so much of control in that game because that's literally what he did. He controlled all that game for Derby and just, you know, threw the balls in for, for the players to do what they'd done. And they, they just... Gave us an exhibition match, really. I think but even Warnock it, said the other day, yeah. it's disappointing to come to Mill and not get a bit of abuse. So, you know, yeah, even he... he, he yeah. and, and <laughs> I, I, don't, I disagree with you, uh, Mickey, about Rooney. I think he's one of the players that, throughout his career, when the crowd go against him, has always been able to, to raise his game. He likes the abuse. He likes that he feeds off of it. You know, a player like Troy Deeney, or we always had um, Marcus Bent used to come down. It, players like that, used to love coming to the den, getting the abuse because it made them fight against us. So I think Rooney would have been one of those players that probably would have... He had a decent game against us, even though Matt Smith absolutely mugged him off on the halfway line. Let's not forget that. We've still got, we've still got that bit. But I think that he would have, um, he, he would have played the pantomime villain and, and, and really raised his game to, 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 to put his fingers to his lips to us. Uh, I think you're right, Tony. Rooney probably would have thrived on it. That's why he's, you know, been a world-class player. I think the difference is our players wouldn't have been allowed to get away with sitting off him as much. Yeah. You know, we just gave him too much. And to be honest, it all comes balls down to I think Rowett just picking the wrong team. If you've got a high possession-based team like Derby, why would you play Matt Smith up front? Or did Derby work it out quickly and then just drop Rooney back from a forward position to a deep position, knowing there was going to be no pressure on him? You bring um, a good point there because I, I I love Matt Smith for what he does. And if you look at him and go, if he's in a four four two, if you look at Steve Morrison, if you had Steve Morrison and Matt Smith, for example, as two options next to Lee Gregory, for example, I think he would have been perfect for the side that we had, especially the year where we went close to getting promoted a couple of years back. But we look a different team when we've got Bradshaw up front. We press from the front and we seem to be a side that plays further forward when he's in the side. I don't know what you guys think about that, but it's a big debate because obviously Smith's scoring goals. He seems to be in form. He's scoring every opportunity that comes to him. But then if we sacrifice playing Smith, are we losing a bit defensively? Are we losing a bit of the control of the game? We're losing goals because Matt Smith's the only one who knows where the net is, really. I mean, you know, who else has scored other than Matt Smith apart from a 20, 30-yard thunderbolt? Um Point. We, you know, we just, unfortunately, I don't know why the manager seems reluctant to play with two strikers. Um, and I don't think Bradshaw can play up front on his own because he either hasn't got the confidence and the energy levels that um, Gregory had. Uh, I mean, you just look at, I watched Gregory for Stoke the other day, even coming on at 4-0 down or something against Leeds, he was still miles better than Bradshaw at pressing, closing down. You know, I appreciate he's not going to score the goals because he didn't, you know, his finishing wasn't brilliant. But um, his energy levels and pressing was so much better. But then the flip side is if you play Matt Smith up front, then you've got to play the wingers and you sacrifice something in midfield and you haven't got any pace up front. So 
uh, to be, uh, it comes back to a point Mickey was asking about who, you know, what positions do we need to strengthen next season? So you'd think we need a, a goal scorer, so to speak, a Lee Gregory replacement. How about if Lee Gregory is available in the summer, would we take him back? I, I wouldn't take go back to Gregory, you know, because he's a year older and he didn't demonstrate the goal scoring that we'd need to get us where we want to be in the table. That doesn't mean he's not a great player. And actually, if he'd have been here this season coming off the bench, um, he'd have been a brilliant option. But he's not a brilliant option to score you 20 goals in the championship. That's why Stoke are where they are. And, and you look at any team in the championship, any team will be crying out for a goal-scoring uh, mm. striker. There's, they're, they're very few and far between. And if if they do come along, they ver- they normally come along with a very hefty price tag. So we would have to be looking at League One or, or League Two because we're certainly, you know, and, unless... You know, under Harris, we we were very reluctant to go to the Premiership to to get loan players from you know younger players from from, from top clubs. So, but that that's that's the option for us. Or do we try and go with with George Alexander and go look? We've done it with Billy Mitchell. Do we say uh, George is going to give us legs? He he can finish. He's got the ability. Has he got the strength to be able to play in the Championship? Well, we don't know until he, he's given a chance. But it, it's difficult because of course we're going to need a striker to to, to bang in the goals and and. What you don't want, and what I think Gary Rowett's got, he's got, like you said, Phil, he's got a decision to make. That he goes with either the press with Bradshaw and then the lack of goals, or he goes with the lack of press and the chance of, uh, uh, you know, the, the chance of goal scoring goes up. You don't really want that. You want to be able to have both in the team and 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 a, and a striker to be all round and give you both of those. But and and he just can't have it, which is why you would probably say, could you play them both up front together? But then I think that you know we we would then have to go back to a four four two and and that's not how Rowett likes to play. He likes his wide players to to, to put pressure on the on the wing backs mm. because a lot of play, a lot of teams like to play three at the back. So those you know Bennett Wallace, which is why I think we've made so much of a difference when Bennett's been in there because we've got a right and left press. You know Bennett gives us that option to to be able to attack down both sides. It gives us the um, option to press down both sides. Where if you have someone like Ferguson or Mahoney, you just there's a massive drop off, and that's that's where we struggle. I think you make a good point about Bennett there. Like, if he's available in the summer, I take it we'd all buy him, right? Or we'd all yeah. take him. I'd hundred percent sign him, Mickey. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, just going back to the thing what Tony said about the Premiership. I think the problem was with Neil last year is that Neil had there was more to it. It was the fact that a lot of these Premiership clubs, when they loan their players out, they come out with stipulation of going, he has to be. You know, he has to play every game. He has to be, um, you know, a player on the pitch every minute of every game. And we want this, we want that. And I think Neil took the stance of, I'm not going to ruin the team setup just because you're telling me that you want me to take your player and play him every game. It's just, it's just not going to work. And I think that's the way the Premiership as a whole works um, with, you know, developing their players and trying to go. Because I think they use us as a, as a window, really, if they, if they don't think their player's good enough and they're not playing for them, then I think the problem is, is that they want to then put them in the window and make sure that they're out every game playing so that other teams start looking and go, actually, we might want to come in and pay for them. Um, I think maybe we need to look at what we did with Morrison, what we did with Gregory, is, is look lower down the leagues at, at someone who can put goals away and just give them that chance and, and, and see if they actually got it without spending fortunes. They've got to be... Plenty of players on the lower leagues what can stick goals in. It's just it's um, a massive step up. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I totally it's, agree. It's, it's just huge, you know, and I think if, you know, if the manager's got the confidence that a premiership loan player is good enough, 
then I think they've got to consider the option of agreeing to certain stipulations because it's in everyone's interest. If you get an Eddie Enketia and he comes in and he scores you 20 goals, but there's something in the contract that says he has to play 60 minutes of every game that he's not injured, then does that destroy team confidence or does that get the team thinking we've got a striker who can score goals as opposed to going out every game wondering where the goals are coming from? If I'm a Quite defender balanced. in our team sometimes, I'm wondering, can we actually win a game without anyone on the pitch who can put it in the net? It's a fine balance of taking from a bubble underneath you, so to speak. So I think if you get a player from the Premier League, you're probably looking at the squads that we had. I remember Steve Morrison saying when we almost got into the playoffs that year, he's like, everyone's on the same pay, everyone's on the similar level playing field. Everyone knows if you put the graft in, you might get an opportunity. But if you get a Premier League loaning in, is it going to disrupt the squad atmosphere? Is it going to, you know, I agree with you, to be fair. I think Rowett especially might be looking above because if you've got a player like Nketi available, I'm not saying that player in particular is going to be available, but I think you'd be stupid not to take the, the chance on it. Look at Malumbi, for example. I mean, Malumbi might be a different situation. Obviously, he's earned his chance and he's come in and been a sensation. I think there is a perception that all premiership youngsters are on 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 grand a week. I mean, it's not the case. You only look at the the lab at Newcastle. Is it Matty Longstaff that's out of contract that potentially is going to Italy or somewhere? He's on a youth contract. Apparently, he's on something like £1,000 a week. You know, um, he's in their first team, so he's getting loads of appearance bonuses and all those kind of things. But, you know, there will be youngsters out there that aren't on deals that make it completely incompatible with our, our setup. But it, to, taking all that aside... Generally speaking, I suppose my view is, and it's probably a question back to you, I think Gary Rowe, even if he had 10 strikers, he'd probably still only play one. I think he's quite a um, defensive-minded manager. You know, you just look at these nine games. It's like a little World Cup. All we had to do was go out and win six or seven of the nine games. And we haven't really even set up in most games to try and win them. We've, We've set up with nine men behind the ball, maybe 10. You know, we've... We've been pretty cautious, I think. I think it might be maybe, it's hard to say. I think when he was at Derby, I remember his side just scoring goals for fun. He had a lot of players there that won him games, but maybe it's the tool he's got available to him. Maybe he knows he's quite limited with what he's got. I mean, it's a good point you're yeah. saying that because obviously five at the back at home, five at the back every week. But I think it's because the players... But he's not got, just the five at the back, is it? You've got Ryan Woods who sits in front of the back four and he might as well actually be in the back five. You know, you need a centre-half who can bring the ball out and release Woods to get 20 yards up the pitch, not be playing on the toes of the two centre-backs in the middle. Yeah, good um, point. I, I don't know what, you know, you do coaching, Sammy. I don't know how you feel about it, but it just, to me, it always feels we've got far too many men behind the ball and there aren't enough options further up the pitch. That That's the key, is, that the, is the options up the pitch, is that when the player on the ball has... Some, someone to someone to pass to, and and they they far too often play to areas rather than play to players. They play to play to the channels quite a lot, um, where we lose it because obviously what tends to happen more than more than not, it's okay when it goes through Woods because his delivery and his how he can find a player or a space is is excellent. But when we're left to Cooper or Hutchinson or even Pierce playing that ball out, that's where we really struggle because they're... Yeah, one out of three ends up getting intercepted. He's going to actually hit the right area. And and therefore, you know, as, as a coach, you want to play to your percentages, not to the to the opposition. And, and every little thing we do like that, that's why I think Woods is absolutely integral. And no other player does it. My big... You know, when I compare players... You brought up Woods. So when you compare Woods to, um, to Williams... 
Woods has the ability to receive the ball from the back three because that's what you want to do. Like I know Phil, you've said that he's part of the back, kind of a back six, which sometimes he is. But if, even if he's a couple of yards in front of them, you want him to receive the ball and then turn and then find the the, the ball out. What Williams does far too often is play the wall pass. So he gets the ball from the centre back and he plays it back to the same centre back or back to another one of the centre backs who then has to play the pass out, which is, like I said, it's a low percentage pass. If Woods gets the ball, more, and Malumbe can do it to a certain degree, however, he's far more energetic, so he's not normally in the right position to receive the ball, whereas Woods holds his position a lot better, um, just turns on turns on the ball and then has the, has the quality and the ability to find the outlet better. Is it quality ability think- or is it, do you think it's how they're trained on a weekly basis? Because if you look at Cooper under Harris, he's speciality with getting the ball and play it's Morrison diagonally every game every five seconds whereas you look at Cooper there is an improvement there from how he is now to under Harris you could argue no well he's definitely improving and you you, you know if you just watch the last two or three games him and Murray Wallace have basically been our left wing attack they've been overlapping each other and that's in some sense is a bit of a concern because that that's definitely not going to lead to lots of goal opportunities but um there's a limit to what a non-naturally ball-playing centre-half can do. You know, they can all, don't get me wrong, they can all pass, they can all play on both feet inside and outside, but it's what they can do under pressure and it's what they can do when they're being closed down and it's also kicking the right ball. Every game you see Hutch and Cooper come out with the ball, they always give it away. You know, people are talking about Cooper playing really well recently, but in I think it was in the Charlton game, you know, he brought it out from the back and he just passed it straight into the opposition and put us under trouble. Hutch has done it several Hutch times. Done it twice. In the last... Hutch done it twice against Hull when we got lucky, really. That, that yeah. didn't cost us. Um... Yeah, and, he, and look, he, I'm not knocking him, but he's, he, you know, he's asking them to play a bit differently and that's um, that's what happens. And it will improve. But actually, I think part of the problem, and it's a question, to, maybe Kai can help with this if he's watched um, Woods a little bit, I think when Woods gets the ball and it happens with the centre halves, players in front of them just aren't moving. There's so limited options. You know, you watch Woods get the ball and you think, who's actually making themselves available? Who wants that eight-yard pass, fifteen-yard pass? I, I don't know. What do you think, Kai? Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think you see him in games and he's he, he goes to pass and then he's kind of like he's put his arms up in the air to say there's that there's no moving, there's no one going anywhere. And if you look at the teams he's been with before, you see all these beautiful balls he's playing. To, to the players and I think the only real uh, example of that was against Charles when he played that beautiful ball over the top to uh, Jed Good. but he's just, he's just not being able to play these balls because there's not enough movement in the uh, ahead of him yeah I think Tony you mentioned on the turn as soon as you say when he gets it and he's receiving on the turn I'm instantly thinking of his Brentford side like you know he's receiving it and that's how Brentford play they've got the players they play that way they train that way that's why I raised the point about training because I mean obviously you can't coach a player to be amazing but you can probably improve a player I think there might be something to it where you see players improve. And I think with the Rowett situation myself, I think it is quite defensive how we play. We are quite, but I think it's maybe the tool you've got available. I think if you look at the players he's trying to bring in, I think if you look at Woods, you look at Mason Bennett, for example, these are players that I'm looking at and they will improve us. And I think there are players that maybe suit a different style of play that we've been used to. And maybe yeah. with a few more players coming in, it could be a change there that we might see a, a star play different. If he gets a full pre-season, I don't know what we're going to get, but there is still room for improvement. Yeah, I, I think he's, he's going to try and change the style of play, but I, I would still maintain this 
this post-COVID nine games was a bit of a free hit, really, because he could have gone out there and played anybody, quite frankly, uh, you know, who had real expectations of making the playoffs. There were some hopes, but, it, you know, probably we didn't expect to be still two points in it with a couple of games to go. I mean, it's only really the fact the teams around them has been as poor as, as we have, really, that have kept us in the hunt. Um, I just think whatever options he's got, you know, that they are there and he can't change them. So why not try them? You know, whether that is putting Jed up front, whether that is playing Smith and Bradshaw, whether that is playing uh, Williams as one of the ball, you know, as the ball playing centre half, whatever, you know, there's loads of different things you can, ideas you can come up with, but we haven't tried anything particularly expansive. We've just gone with what we know. And in fact, I think most games, you know, against Derby, I genuinely think, we, you know, that was a game where Bradshaw should have started. I know Smith did score, but um, to give us that movement and pressing. And then the game away to Barnsley, that was definitely a game Smith needed to start because Barnsley are nowhere near as good as Derby. Yet we gave them too much respect. You know, we set off them and we didn't squeeze them. We didn't get balls in the box and we didn't create, really create anything. I thought it was, to me, I, I felt, you know, we, we had been pretty, uh, pretty negative predictable the one I, I agree with you Phil and the one thing I would say that you were looking at like you said it's a bit of a free hit the, the thing you alluded to is bang on that we're only in it because a lot of the other teams have struggled but that that is what we're they're all struggling because it's they're not yeah. used to playing every three dates you know it's, it's really put for it's this is built for, for bigger squads you know, you look at the world. The Cup, five subs, definitely. Yeah, yeah. You know, the five, five subs and 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 the, and the water breaks and the extra bit of coaching is built for those. You know, you look at Leeds technical staff. They've they've got they've got a, basically a, a coach for each player that comes off. They can get an individual bit of coaching while they're on the side while they're having their water break. Um. So so it's it's set out for the the bigger bigger clubs to to do better. And and that's actually what has transpired. You know, the the bigger clubs, the the, the clubs that have spent the most, have tended to do best since since the restart but I would say we've you know bringing Billy Mitchell in get giving him giving him a start at right wing back which is in his natural position those are the kind of things that I would have hoped um would have happened you know there's nothing wrong you know yes we're still going for the playoffs but we the rotation and the subs the Barnsley one baffled everybody and Middlesbrough because it took so long you know you, you can see players are playing back to back back to back back to back and then you wait 70, 75 minutes to make a substitution when you can make five. You know, just put fresh legs out there. You know, what you're taking off and what you're putting on, there's only one or two players in the team that are completely irreplaceable. And even then, if they're playing like they, like Jed did in uh, against Middlesbrough, he's having a shocker, take him off. You know, he's, he's, mm. he's shot, he's mentally, he's fatigued, physically he's fatigued. Yes, he is a he's a game winner, Jed Wallace, and he's probably our only game winner, other than obviously Ryan Leonard shooting one from twenty five yards out. Jed is our only match winner, whether it's an assist or whether it's um, whether it's from a goal. But if he's not fit, or he looks tired, or he's making mistake after mistake, then take him off and put Mahoney on. And if it doesn't pan out, then you've got Jed. He's a little bit fresher for the next game, and he could potentially kick on. And it's just something that sometimes he just hasn't made subs where you want him to freshen up the squad a little bit. Yeah, you, you mentioned, I, you agree. And I think I'm, I'm going to bring a point that maybe I think it's you that raised on Twitter last week, Phil. Uh, obviously, the backroom star situation where Cam Davison's left and gone to kill Marduk. 
We've lost probably Rowett's right hand man, so to speak. He fired him every club he was at. Do you think that's a telling, a telling factor for us, or maybe Rowett's not getting them thoughts on the touchline anymore, thanks to Davidson not being there? It's really difficult to answer in the sense that we don't really know the players or the manager and their style. But I think there's a perception amongst fans that all managers are great at everything, and you know why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing that? Sometimes they're all you know maybe Rowett's skills are you know attracting players to the club, managing players in the sense of keeping, you know, squad unity, but he needs a really good coach next to him. That's not to say he can't coach, but that might not be his nine out of 10 skill set. Um, it certainly seems to me that we have lacked clarity in our formations, our team selections and in-game management since Davidson went. But that may just be because the situation that we're in, but I'm not, you know, Barrett potentially could be going south end. So maybe that's, you know, if that's floating around in the background and the players think Barrett's leaving and Barrett thinks, he's, you know, there's lots of ifs and buts in there. But for me, I would love to see an attacking minded coach come in as his number two to offset what I think is a naturally defensive mindset in Rowett. I agree with you. I think, I think Barrett could potentially go to south end because he's a legend there. So, you know, he's, he's loved there. And I think it's definitely got to be a thought for him. But, you know, what you said about Rally, I think you're right. I think Rally is quite a good defensive coach. I think he's probably a good um, man-manager around the players. He can manage them really well. And, you know, he, he can build that trust and build that, that camaraderie. But I think Callum just had that little bit more of an attack edge. And because of that, they work well together. And I think that's... that. That's an issue where, you know, you you had that with um, Neil and Livermore, didn't you? Where, you know, where Neil and Livermore, they work really well with, with all the players, you know, with the defensive and obviously the attack side of it. Um, and maybe that's the issue. Maybe it's just, you know, when he needs to, when he's up against it and he thinks, right, we'll just stick everyone on, we seem to do all right. You know, when he first joined with Charlton, when, you know, it was a drawing, we were drawing and then all of a sudden he threw hell to the wind and put everyone on and, and you know, shit or bust and we... We managed to do it, and I think that's where these games now, when we come back from COVID, should have been more about let's just go. But then again, if he'd have done that, and two or three of our players had got injured through going in quite hard and attacking hard, where would we be? We would all be slagging him off for poor management decisions, and you know what we're going to do now with four players out. You know how where, where are we going to find the results, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I suppose really. He can't win. He can't, you know, he's damned if he does and damned if he don't. Yeah, that's the tell of being a football manager, isn't it? I think that's how it works. Sorry to interrupt you there, Kai, but one thing on the attacking coach, uh, he, he took from Derby to Stoke, correct me if I'm wrong, he took Kevin Phillips with him and Kevin Phillips is out of a job now who's an attacking yeah. coach. So, I mean, you never know. Obviously, there's a vacancy filling in the summer, so that could be an attacking coach that could answer that question. Go on, Kai. Kevin Phillips up front. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say about Kevin Phillips actually I, I watched him on um, I watched Quest every week I only really watch it on Millwall Win to be fair I, don't, I can't watch it when we lose so um, yeah I watched it and he, he seemed to be quite complimentary of Millwall and I thought I was thinking that he was he uh, managed with Rao and I thought maybe that could could work if you look at um, Davidson's impact as well before Davidson left I think we had the most goals um, scored by substitutes uh, since Rao's come in and since Rao, uh, since Davidson's left we've had the fewest so yeah, maybe maybe he I think Rao 
has kind of brought on players too late and, and maybe Cad- uh, Davidson saw that a bit earlier than, than Rout did, Rout would do. I think he said after the Derby game, he was disappointed the subs didn't make an impact, but I think he only left it 15 minutes to make a change. So I agree with all you guys really. It's like, it is a talking point, but whether how much impact Davidson had on the side of it or the day-to-day running in the training ground, I mean, who really knows? I suppose that's a question for the managers to answer that we will never get to know, I suppose. It's a personality thing as well, Omer. You know, um, I don't, Rao, it might not be the kind of person that wants somebody to challenge him, or he might, you know, there was obviously people used to say Neil didn't like, you know, didn't like that, but I think most people wouldn't have known, you know, because that's what goes on behind closed doors. But you do want a manager that's prepared to let his number two come at him and say, Gaff, we need to change this. It's not working, you know, and he's and he's prepared to listen. And I suspect Rao is that kind of individual because they did seem to work well. And I don't think Davidson would have been a shrinking violet in you know, in doing that. But, you know, just before the breakdown, we had a fantastic win up at Forest. I went up there and it was a brilliant atmosphere. We played so well as a team. It just seems so odd that we've not really gone with that team again and been able to recapture that form. Um, I think think a lot of it does rely around Bennett, really. Yeah, we did try to go again, I think. I I remember I was up there at Nottingham as well and it was the best away performance that we've had for a long while. And especially that first half, we just blew them away from start to finish and kind of controlled the game. But I think we did try to go again. We had, of the team that played Derby, the only one that was missing was Bennett, who was injured. And I think maybe he did try. He he is so pivotal down that left-hand side. I agree. No, he was loan-locked because he's on loan. Derby wouldn't let him play against Exactly. Play against Derby, yeah. And I think that was telling because like, he did give the opportunity to the 10 other players and I think he was disappointed with the performance and I think with the no crowd situation, it opened questions up to him that maybe he didn't think were problems in the first place. But if you think about the Derby game, you know, who did we have in midfield that day? You know, we started with Ryan Leonard. He wasn't in the he wasn't in the Forest game. He yeah, he was know. the one that came in. He played behind Smith, didn't he? I think that was the only change yeah. from the Forest game. And I think we had... Uh, might be Williams and perhaps Woods in the middle, or Williams and Malumbi, maybe. Well, it could be Woods and Malumbi, I think, maybe. I thought, I, I thought it was a couple of changes. But anyway, yeah. I just, um, we, you know, we don't have a direct replacement for Bennett. Um, and I think what Bennett offers you is very direct running. You know, Mahoney's probably a more technical player, mm-hmm. but Bennett is prepared to run at people and use his pace. And when you haven't got that, then it just puts a lot of pressure on Jed, who's either, well, he's apparently he's carrying an injury, but, you know, he's also been playing very, very deep of, yep. of recent games, which makes it hard for him to penetrate so much in that final third when he's starting from the edge of his own box. I think Bennett's a kind of player, I agree with you. I think you, you can't just tend to go out there, play on the left-hand side and run around. And he's just raw, he's strong, he's, he's obviously quick on the ball as well. And he just seems to be something different and you don't really have much to do I think just go out there and make an impact and he seems to do that when he plays for us I think you mentioned Mahoney and you mentioned obviously he's a different kind of player but if we look at the squads and imagine it stays as it is now and we don't go up who's the deadwood in the squad that maybe opens all you guys that we might get rid of in the close season who do you think Skalak (laughs) Skalak obviously probably will be gone as well if we can afford to Get rid of his rages if he's got, I think he's got another year left on his deal and he's supposedly on big money. But, um, yeah, who, who who are we looking at in the squad that could be replaced going forward next season? I think, um, with, with a player like Mahone, I think we've got to keep him because I think he's only young and the glimpses he's shown, he's shown good glimpses like against Luton, for example, he's come on and done well. I think with Mahone, it's a confidence thing, so I'd definitely keep him and, and see if we can um, improve his confidence. Um, this might not be, um, I know Williams has signed a new one-year deal and I think he's good for depth in the squad. 
But another one is obviously Scalak, and you mentioned that Tony. I think Scalak's got to go. I think he's he's on too much money, and it, it, it stops us from being able to bring in any sort of uh, young loan players if we want to, because it, it just doesn't allow that. Um, I think Jason McCarthy is another one that's got to go. He's come in under Harris, and I thought he, I think Rout hasn't. You know, he's come back from Wickham and he hasn't even been training with um, with us. So that's an odd one, isn't it? He's yeah. elected to tell McCarthy to stay away. I think, yeah, which is a bit of an interesting one. I don't know what you guys think of that. Like he's just told him, "Don't come back to train with us." He's probably not. You know, he's probably not fit well into the squad. You know, some players because we've got such a tight knit squad, and he doesn't seem like a bad lad to be fair. But mm. something might not be right. Into he, he might not just gelled in the squad, in, and it's massive. You know, Gary Rowe, it's a big advocate, like you're saying, Phil. Of, the man manager and speaking to players, if he, if he can see that a player's not slightly fitting into, you know, it could be a silly thing where they all go for dinner or they all go and play golf and, and he don't. And, and it, you know, he just kind of, if, if he feels like a little bit on the outside looking in, it's going to affect his confidence. It's going to, and then it affects the other players. And, and so he's probably just decided you, you haven't been in and around the team. You're not going to make a positive impact. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to bother having you. The one thing I would say that I'm surprised with is that, He's not really had um, James Brown at right back because he's had to. Marlon Romeo's only had, you know, he's had to play, and then he's obviously had to play Billy Mitchell there. He's had to train Billy Mitchell at right wing back, and although he's done fantastic, that's that's quite a big step because you look at it. You, we even if we go from a right wing back to a right back, we've got literally we've had nobody on the bench that when we can make five subs that that can that can fill in that position. So we've even now got. We've either got uh, Billy Mitchell or Ryan Leonard as our backup right backs, which yeah. is which. So you've got to look at and think we're going to have to strengthen there in in the window. But there are players that you, if we want to push on as a team, that we've got to we've got to replace. Smith is not, you know, we have, we have the same with Morrison. You know, Smith doesn't seem to me to be if he's up there on his own, he's not a ninety minute player. He's not someone I much prefer him being an impact sub. And and Kai, you said about. Um, the, 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 the sub thing and, and us scoring the most amount of goals off the bench. I bet Smith attributed about not 80% of those goals coming off the bench yeah, and, and changing games because we could play a little bit more direct and, and when we're chasing a game or when we're, we're, we're looking to win it, he can add that. But he, he just, every time he starts, he just does not seem to me to give us at that focal point up front that you want, that, you know, the, the, the all-round striker. And so, we you know, and, and Bradshaw, whether he scores some goals coming up and, and gets a bit of confidence because remember he, he's come from but he's never really been a goal scorer throughout his career I think he had 19 goals in 80 games at Barnsley um, before coming to us so he's never really been a goal scorer but he came to us looked really good got injured come back started alright and, and then has seemed to have fallen off the pace and, and you know Harris didn't play him for ages either when he could have come back he never played him so there are definitely the one the one place for a change for a Millwall team where I look at it and go, I want that player to be playing for the next three years is Bart in goal because he is absolutely been a revelation to the team. You know, I, I, if you look at our player of the year, and I'll, I'll ask you all, but my player of the year by a long way has been Bart. The, the change that it's given us in goal, and if we had had him in goal when we finished eighth, when we lost to Fulham that three, in the three 0 game at home, if we had Bart in goal that season, we'd have gone up. And it's as simple as that. I think he's made that much of a difference. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah I totally agree. I think, um, firstly, I'll preempt this with everything I've read and seen from all the analysts and whatever is there's not going to be a lot of money around. So people are expecting Berylson to put in three or four 
four million for a nice transfer kitty, I think there's going to be some disappointment because he's looking at huge losses, you know, formed by COVID, which he's going to have to step in and fill. I think we've had an advance on the Premiership EFL money, so that's not going to be forthcoming because we've already had it. Um, so there's going to be a lot of frees and probably loans. Um, so there might not be as much activity as we'd like, but you know, a left back is essential. Murray's done a good job there, but I suspect is Pierce out of contract at the end of this season. Yeah, I think he's on new one yet, but I imagine if he's the club captain, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I think it, it would be nice to have Pierce, but the fact is, if you got if you're going to sign one, I'd sign a left back and then have Murray Wallace as your spare centre back. I think if you, you know, if you re-sign Pierce, then you need to have a big enough budget to still deal with the other positions. Otherwise, it's a, it's an opportunity lost. I think we've got to get a, a dedicated left back who's a little bit quicker than Murray and probably more comfortable on the ball. Um, left wing's been an issue, still is an issue. Depends whether we sign Bennett. Um, there's not really any backup for Jed. Um, and maybe that'll only come if we do actually sell him. Um, the big area is probably centre midfield because you know the only players that will be definitely here will be Sean Williams, um, uh, Ryan Leonard and Ben Thompson. You know, and certainly two of those in Leonard and um, Williams probably still have got a reasonable amount to do. Williams, I think, has proved himself, but, you know, maybe he's not going to be 90 minutes twice a week. Um, and then you get to up front. You know, I, I'm not being funny. I wouldn't be shocked if, if he could move them on. I wouldn't be shocked if Smith and Bradshaw weren't here because I think neither of them quite fit. What he, It's not that they're not good players. I really like Smith and he seems a really lovely bloke. You know, and every club he goes to, he comes in, he does exactly what he says on the tin, and then they move him on. And I don't know why clubs sign him because they know what he, he can do. And, they, and and to be honest, back to Tony's point about the focal point, I think Smith would be really good for us if we did get back. You know, if we'd had him in those days with yeah. uh, instead of Moody up front with Harris four four two, he would have been a cracking player. But there's no point in asking him to do things that he can't do, which is run yeah. around, close people down, and chase them. So you either set the team up. To, um, and this is what we haven't done for years. We've not set a team up to play around the striker. The striker has been there to play around the rest of the team as an extra defender. Gregory did it for years. You know, who knows what damage that did to his career, not you know, really creating enough chances for him. Um, and you either put Smith up there and have somebody with him who they can work together and build a partnership and set side up to, to work from that, or you set the team up, as we do, to be quite defensive and have some form of a hit teams on the break. And I don't think either of those options are Smith and Bradshaw. Whether he could actually move them on or not is another matter. Um, uh, but that's, yeah, that's kind of my thought. Pierce's contract's 2021. Oh, is it? Right. Yeah, it's got a bit longer then. On the on the, the bits that come out the other day with everyone's alleged wages, which when they come out before, they were all fairly higher than, than what they were. But... Um, yeah, according to that, Alex Pierce allegedly is on eight grand a week and it's 2021. All right. Well, in that case, fair enough. But we still, it doesn't change the fact that, in my view, left back for me is really important because you you need a left back that's really comfortable. If you're going to play three centre half, you've got to have that wing back comfortable bringing the ball out. You know, Fergie plays there sometimes, then he doesn't. You know, there, there are two or three positions in the team which are just really unsettled all the time. Right back, Marlon's nailed it. Goalkeeper, Bart's nailed it. Two of the three centre halves have nailed it. If Woods is here, his name's on the sheet. But then there's a lot of other positions that really the players haven't grasped and 
and really stamped their name on it, if that makes sense. You guys all touched on Mahoney. I mean, he was brought in as Neil Harris preached him as, as the best crosser in the league. He crossed the most balls last season. I guess now we've changed manager, we play differently. Do you think Mahoney has got a future up the then under Rowett or...? You know what? The thing that baffles me with Mahoney is that when he plays in with Bradshaw, you like yeah, yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. If you play Mahoney, you've got to play him with Smith, and far too often, it, Mahoney's come on and Smith's come off, but Bradshaw's come on. You're like, what are you doing? You know, them two are absolutely made for each other. I think a couple of times he's kept Smith on. I think was it? Um, I think it was even. It might have even been Borough. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Literally come on and, and, and created a chance. Smith heads it. It was a great save by the goalkeeper and they got the other end and scored, didn't they? And you're like, yeah. to be fair, it was the only thing we'd done in the match, but it was that we had a five minutes and, and that's what Mahoney brings you. He's got that, like Kai was saying earlier about Mahoney, he has that bit of mercurial brilliance that Jed kind of does on a far more often basis. You know, Mahoney is younger. You know, he's, he's more... More of a, he's certainly a confidence player, which I always think at the den is very dangerous. Like I said with my crowd earlier, it, it, wingers tend to get absolutely destroyed at the den by our fans. You look at going back through history, James Henry was another example, Paul Ifield, great wingers that will eventually killed off by our fans because even if they were having a decent game, if they don't put their foot in, which Connor doesn't do, if they don't put their foot in, they're going to get absolutely ripped to shreds. And that, and I think Connor falls into that category. So he's going to have one great game in three and he's going to get, you know, all of us in our, in our social media platforms saying he's a game changer and he's fantastic. And then two games out of three, you're going to, you're going to have everyone else on Twitter and, and Facebook just absolutely ripping the shit out of him because he doesn't put a challenge in and he looks like he's flits in and out of games. And until we can turn that round to two out of three games he's doing it, then I think he's always going to struggle to nail a place in the side. I think the, the, the problem with Connor is how we play as a team. The reason that players like Jed do well is Jed likes to get the ball and he likes to run 10, 20 yards with it. You know, maybe running near of his box might be a bit much, but he does that incredibly well. How many times have we seen Jed pick it up, edge of our box, get to the edge of their box? Maybe it doesn't quite work out, but he can carry the ball, you know, a good 60-odd yards. Mahoney's not that type of winger. Mahoney's the type of winger where you need balls passed forward. And it's, I think it's in how you bring the ball forward that can bring... Mahoney into the game whereas Bennett again he's probably a bit more like Jed he will quite happily pick the ball up quite deep and go on a 20-30 yard run um, forward and Mahoney doesn't really drive forward with the ball in the same way probably because he hasn't got the pace to be honest with you he's going to get he's going to get caught um, but you know he's a good player we've just got to find out you know either he fits the way Rout wants to play and therefore it's going to work or um if he's not, then maybe, you know, maybe he will be surplus to requirements. No, I agree. I think uh, he's one of those players, like how Tony said, he'd be one in three. I think the problem with Mahoney is not got the opportunity to probably be out there all three games and kind of grab the game by the scruff of the neck. So he's not really been offered the opportunities, I suppose you could say. But yeah, I think it's, it's just difficult when you watch him play sometimes and you if he's not interested, that's the middle criticism. You know, if a player's not keen or running around, that's why Bennett's all of a sudden become a favourite because he's running around like a, a you know put himself about and Mahoney's not that type of player so I do hope it, it works for him but at the moment I'm quite on the fence about him but we'll have to see I think if you're looking 
obviously at the rest of the squads, we've all we've touched on left back. Um, is there anyone else? Obviously a striker. If you're if you've been given three or four million, is there a striker in mind that you guys would want to take, or someone that you think on the top of your head that is a middle player that you want to sign? I, I personally, I think we need two strikers because I don't think we've got. Smith doesn't really suit the style of play that he wants, you know, not his preferred style of play. You know, somebody like, um, I mean, obviously Waghorn did well for us before and Waghorn's a good striker uh, and he's the kind of, he definitely is a Millwall type player. He loves to get stuck into people, you know, probably couldn't afford him. The other one was Marriott who went to Derby, I think from Peterborough. Marriott looked, you know, Marriott looked a really good player uh, and he hasn't had many options at uh, um, uh, Derby, I don't think. So, um, you know, he would be somebody of interest, but you know, you've got to have got to have somebody who's quick and prepared to really work their nuts off up there because they're just not going to get much support from the. You know, even even Smith, who you know his, his ratio for goals is fantastic, but he still massively divides the fan base. I mean, you know, what more could what more could he actually do? And as Tony says, quite often, um, Rowett puts on exactly the sort of team that would suit Smith after he took Smith off. You know, or the other way around, and you sort of think oh, that just doesn't make any sense. You know, if you go back over the nine games, you look at the time Smith has actually been on the pitch with two wingers. You know, it just uh, it doesn't. I'm not really quite. I think sometimes he brings him on when he brings him on later in the games. It's almost more as a defensive player because he comes back and does some great work in the box. But then when we do break quickly with Jed Smith's still on the halfway line when the ball's in the penalty area. Make you right, Kai. Anyone on your short list if you have to choose a striker out there? I mean, we were saying earlier about how we want someone, you know, who's going to score goals, but it's also going to um, add a bit of energy around. And the player that, there's two players, I've got one winger and one striker. Before we even like look out there, I think we've got to test Abdul, Abdul Malika, because he, he looks he looks a cracking player. I mean, when I watched him against Bournemouth, obviously I, haven't, I didn't watch him as much as I would like to, because Chelsea uh, against the under-18s, they, um, you know, obviously we only lost 1-0, but they were up on quite a lot, so... But against Bournemouth, he looked quick, he looked raw, and I thought, you know, he's worth a go. We're, we're, we're lacking that pace up top, and I think he's worth a go. But on the on the transfers, um, there's a player that's uh, Sam Cosgrove from Aberdeen. Um, he's he's quite uh, quite tall, and um, he's he's very mobile. He's very much like a Chris Wood, and I think a Chris Wood did he did suit our play, and I think someone like that would suit our play. And the other winger that I was uh, thinking about, there's a I don't know if you heard of a place for Lech Poznan, uh, Camille Joswiak. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, he's a, again a young, and I think we'll probably have to get him on a pretty pretty decent fees. Um, he's, uh, I think his contract ends next year, so might be a reduced fee, especially as the coronavirus. You know, they they might be looking to sell some, some. I don't know, but it's worth a go, I guess. No, I think um, that's it. It's if it would all have to be Alex Aldridge, I suppose, in his scenario where he's plucking players out of thin air players are out left, right and centre. We don't really go abroad too often, do we? So it does raise an interesting point for yourself, Kai. And it is something that maybe we do look at going forward. And you mentioned Abdul Malik as well. I think, obviously, you're right. The Chelsea game, we didn't get a touch of the ball. But you've got a few players in there. You know, we get to the quarterfinal of the FA Youth Cup. You know, you've got some players in there that maybe could get an opportunity. I think at times under Harris, he was quite scared to use him in the championship. Whereas in League One, he'd say to use him more often. So have we got much to lose? Could we use some of the youth players out there, do you reckon? Or is it too little? To, I think, is it too I think there's a risk. I think there's a risk when they're that young. You've got to remember that he's in the pecking order is behind Alex, George Alexander. Um, now, I don't know what the club's thoughts on George Alexander are, but um, I did go to the Chelsea game. He he, look, he obviously is a good prospect, but there's a massive difference between playing at under 18 and then suddenly coming up against, say, 
uh, you know, like a, an Alex Pierce type player that's going to knock you all over the pitch, you know, and there's so much that goes on in the professional game on the pitch that maybe we don't always fully appreciate um, in terms of the contact, the language, uh, the physicalness. And I just think Abdul Malik's he looked a little bit too lightweight for me. I think if you remember last season at the end away to Wigan when George Alexander and Billy Mitchell came on, you know, Billy Mitchell already looked physically stronger and Alexander got pushed around a little bit. And it's just that core strength and that ability to stick up, you know, physically. We saw it when Mitchell's played in the last two or three games. Players have pressed him and closed him and squeezed him and he's actually been perfectly fine. He looks pretty well adapted. I think if you bring somebody in from under 18s that's not quite ready you could just do them a lot more you know you could just really set them back a bit you know there, there are some un- exceptional young players like a Wayne Rooney for example but he was just so physically strong at such a young age he was just a completely different calibre do you know what I mean? I, I, I do think at Mill we tend to err on that we've not had a youth team really that's been worth creating since Kenny Jackett you know dismantled the academy as it was We've not really produced it. But I, I, I really think that we have to have a change of philosophy and start playing. You know, there were certainly the, the, after the COVID, you know, we've got Junior Tienza, um, who is someone that I think should be, should be getting game time. Um, George Alexander, you're right about putting, um, getting physical back. The only, rate, the only way he's going to get used to it is by playing. You know, you know look at Sibley playing for Derby, was was the man of the match. He was lightweight. I know he had a bit of more, probably more about him than George Alexander, but he still stepped up and delivered when he when he needed to. So we've just got to go. Do you know what? If they if they're training and around the squads, give them give them a go. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, Mickey, anything to add on it or? No, I mean there's there's lots of rumour. I mean there's a, there's rumours out there. We're looking all for the Preston North End guys. Strikers talking to us, their young starlet strikers is talking to us. Whether or not there's any truth in there, there's no name attached to it. It's just saying so. A lot of these rumours, they don't. But I think, I think Phil's right. I, I, I think if George Alexander was ready, I think he would be playing more, especially where we need um, a good striker who can finish, and he can finish, but he can finish in in his league where he is at the moment. Um, and I do think it's a massive step up to go from there to there. And I agree with what Phil said. You know, Billy Billy Mitchell just he looks like he can handle himself on the pitch. And the fact that he's got you know the other pros screaming at him and he knows where he is and he knows what he's doing, I think it shows. He's come on and he is a class player. And he's he's definitely if he carries on like he's doing, definitely potential being a Mill legend in the making. There, I don't think you can risk ruining. A potential player's career going forward by putting them in too early. And we've seen it before when players come in too early and they just end up, you know, failing to reach their potential. I think it's... In, a way, in a way, the end of the season kind of hasn't helped us because it's now dragging into the last two or three games. There's still something to play mm-hmm. for. And, and as fans, you know, I think there's probably a vibe in the club that it's a season too early. And I'm not saying they don't want to get promoted, but I don't think they'd really quite fancy it quite right now because he's one or two transfers, transfer windows away from, you know, adapting the squad. So it was closer to what he wanted it to be. But had we not been quite as close to the playoffs, you might have seen a few more of the young players coming through in these last seven or eight games because this is, you know, over the years I've been going to Millwall, when you're not 
in danger of going down and not in danger of going up. This is when normally the managers start playing the younger players, the fringe players, and, and having a really good look at people because the intensity of games is just so different to you know the under-23s or reserve matches as they used to be. Um, but it's not even that. It's you know, it's not surprising that someone like Thompson changed dramatically after he went away to Portsmouth because you know he probably never lived away from home. He'd never really had to worry about travelling, living somewhere different, sorting his crap out. You know, it's all part of growing up. And sometimes it's not just to, you know to Tony's point is when are they ready? Sometimes some twenty-year-olds are like a bag of you know a wet paper bag, and other twenty-year-olds are ready to you know fight for the world championship. Um, everybody just develops at a little bit different stage, not just technically, but physically. And also, I think that we're in a situation where we've never been in before. I think this COVID is is going to play on, on teams' minds because we don't know yet when fans are going to be allowed back in the stadium and clubs aren't going to be paying big money for people when they don't know where the wages are coming from. Um, well, the, wa- the wage cap that's probably going to... Well, it looks like this wage cap's going to... If it doesn't come in this season, it's certainly it's on the horizon. That's going to make a massive difference because we're pretty much, if they're saying it's 18 million, I think our wage budget in the last accounts is about 16.6. So we haven't actually got a lot of room. Oh, and also, go I, think, out and, I think JB's probably set to lose, what, four, maybe four to six million out of this COVID crisis, um, you know, depending how long it goes on. I think that you've got so many different things. I mean, I hear that the players... All the players, not just Millwall, but all the players, it's costing them ten grand a week to do testing. Each club is having to test people twice a week. You've got so much risk, so much upheaval. I mean, added expenses, six people on the coach when you go away games. A lot of the teams are trying to get early kickoffs so they don't have to stay in hotels because obviously they don't want that risk because they've got to provide their own food, they've got to provide this, that, everything else. So I think that there's a lot of different avenues at the moment what are having a, uh, an effect on, on the team on the setups and probably the management the running side and everything else and I mean realistically you know Mill will probably love to be in the premiership but they'd love to be in the premiership with the fans there um, there's no point getting promoted and then all of a sudden we're not going to you know the rumour is that fans aren't possibly going to be coming back to the stadium until 2021 um, if that works out true and, and you, you know, you're looking at maybe January, February before fans become back in the stadium, then realistically, I'd rather go for it next season than this season because at least then once you get up and you start getting the money, you can actually do something with it. And, I just hate the... I agree with you, Mickey, but I just hate the whole talk of... like I, All the points everyone says is very funny, but I hate the idea going, we won't go this season, we'll try next season. And then you get relegated or, you know, you, I think well, when I the opportunity is there for you as a club... Yeah. Yeah. This is which but is why always, which is why when we're watching the games at the moment and we're seeing them not turn up, it's the most infuriating thing in the world. It's like some of these players might not get another opportunity to try and push for promotion to Premier League. Some of these players I might never you, play again. I, think you, you, I, I agree with you, and that's probably what's really you know frustrated me is that I've seen this nine games a massive opportunity to you know bust into the playoffs and and make some we were safe. something happen. And that's why you feel infuriated. You think, why didn't we? Why don't we just attack every game? Why don't we pick a side? And then the flip side is, you know, you look at the Premiership, and you know, again, coming back to some of the stats that are around, there's only about six or seven teams in the Premiership that actually make a profit. You know, basically, if you're JB, what you're saying is, if I go up to the Premiership, I'm going to lose even more money yeah. than I'm already losing. No, that's it. Hence, why the development, and everything else is there to obviously try and put money into the club to stop inputting. We are now. I think last year was the first year that we made a bit of money. Um, I think it was the last. We, we lost about we lost about seven hundred grand. 
yeah, yeah. In the last so, set of accounts, but that was only because of Savile. Yeah, exactly. And and the problem is, is that you know they're looking to try and make everything work. And, and I think the reason Steve Kavanagh come in is more of an accountant based than what we've had before, and it and it's starting to look. But I think commercially as a club, I think we're probably ten years behind every other club to make money advertising now starting to come on is it where it's probably not when you've got other clubs doing you know toilet roll sponsored etc except you know silly little things what are sponsored our club shop is is dreadful um our canteen stuff is dreadful the beverages etc etc most people you know if you could if you could suss out how to serve people during half time we'd increase the revenue okay yeah. not there, but you would increase revenue if you had stock in the shop what was of a good quality what people wanted to buy you'd end up making more money there. And I think the problem yeah. is, is that a whole, we are, as a team, quite far behind others within our team, especially in, in the championship now where you're looking at Norwich coming down. Norwich is coming down with an £80 million parachute payment, suddenly walking straight into the championship with an £80 million. So realistically, they potentially could keep the same players they've got, premiership players, into a championship and go all out to try and get back up um, and if we don't get back up, there's probably another parachute payment there where then they can start staggering it down. But teams like us, well, you're saying, you know, we're spending 16 million. You've got some teams who are potentially spending 30, 40, 50 million. Well, last year, Villa, Villa's wage budget was, I think, 94 million. Yeah, I mean, championship, yeah. And was, you know, they, yeah, I mean, Derby's wasn't quite that big, but it's pretty significant. I think the problem is that, generally speaking, without a player sale as a, as a club, we lose between five and seven, eight million pounds a season. And, you know, you're right. We could make a bit more money with the food and beverage. We could do a bit better with the club shop. But all of those things are hundreds of thousands. They're not millions. You know, oh, do, you see many, do, you see many, do you see how many replica shirts Liverpool sold this year? Yeah. In the championship. You know, I forgot. Was it like something like 1.1 million or something stupid? I forgot. It was an absolutely massive number. And we sell eight or 9,000 a year. There's, there's a limit to how much money you can generate however good you are commercially at a club like Mirwall, I think it's as simple as that. The I, best I do thing think that's for us. I do think we, we've always struggled to sell uh, shirts at, in a club shop because we, we obviously order 9,000 XXXXL shirts <laughs> and now go and sell yeah. for a fiver. And, maybe, and now we've got someone that actually knows what they're doing ahead of the club shop that we might actually order in a load of medium and large uh, and a few extra large and we might be able to sell a few more. But it, it does, you know, when you look at it, even the knockdown shirts, they still the clubs still make a profit on it up to a certain degree. And yet we tend to, you know, the amount of people you see that comment on the fact that they, they look to the club shop and there is nothing in a normal-sized human being you could buy a shirt in a tent, but you cannot buy anything else. And it's just, you know, like Mickey said, like you've said, Phil, it's something that as a club we just get wrong. And those little, every little bit would make a difference. We're not, we know, that up, yeah. we, we know that we can't compete with the teams that have been to the Premiership, got parachute payments, got um, Abu Dhabi back in and, you know, owners that, that are ridiculously rich. And, and for, for like Brentford, for instance, a team that, you know, although they've got um, their, their wage bill is not 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 massive, the expenditure on players, the expenditure on um, yeah on agent fees is far higher than ours because of the fact that who are bankrolling their club. We mm-hmm. and I don't want that to be fair. I quite I'm I'm very pleased with JB and how he runs the club. He runs the club like he sh- you should do, like a business. Not yeah, I agree. Too many clubs in the in the championship. You look at them, it's literally boom or bust. 
and some of them pay off, like Villa or Fulham. They get they get to the, the promised land of, of the Premiership, and then you've got others like Bolton, like Sunderland, like Portsmouth, like Wigan. That seem to all of a sudden that not only are they making the Premiership, but they might not even have a club left. And that we haven't even discussed Cholton, who you know what a circus they are. And so you, yeah. I think I think it's quite. I think we're one of the only teams in in the Championship that try and get the balance right. That we're, oh, we're, still, competing. Totally we're still competing. There's there's still work to do it off off the field, and we're doing a, a bit better on the field with with a management change. But overall, you know, you've got to look at our club and think, considering what how Mill have been run in the past, we're doing pretty all right, and that's that's something that positivity should should emanate from just, the fans. It, it, it just uh, it just shows what's wrong with football, doesn't it? Because I agree with you. You know, we we're doing the right thing, but. Even doing the right thing still loses you six or seven million quid a yeah. year. There's no other. There's no other. There's no other business in the world where you'd have all these companies competing with each other to lose money. Um, yeah, the best thing that can happen to us is the salary cap because if that if that does come in, it's the salary cap at a level that we can relatively compete at, and then it really does come down to you know, your coaching, your ability to attract people, which being in London could be a big advantage. You know, if the wages are all, you know, um, well, I say it's an advantage, it might be a disadvantage if suddenly the maximum you can earn is 10 grand. 10 grand might be worth a lot more up in Middlesbrough than it is in London. Um, but that really does level things out massively, you know, because that Villa, Villa paying £94 million in wages to our £14 million that season is a massive disparity. I think the thing is as well, and look, I, I know I was the leading voice. I know that, you know, we fought hook and crook to, to save the regen and all that. I think over the next couple of years when the regen starts, it's going to make it a bit awkward or a bit difficult for us as a club because you're suddenly going to have loads of residential apartments around us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would never, ever, and I didn't, and I, and I fought for it not to. But, you know, financially, it would have probably been better for the club to have moved and and started afresh in a new premises with property owns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I think it would have destroyed the club. I think you would have lost so many on his fan base, et cetera, et cetera. I think where we are is great for the city, for where we are. I think the problem is, is that over the last so many years, we've been terrible. I think this year we'll probably be all right. We'll probably get the shirts out earlier. Shirt sales have been going up and up on year on year. I think now that we've got Husky, um, the sponsorship deal for five years is great. means that things are going to slightly work, all the artwork, everything else is there. But, you know, I would I would rather take us being run like we are than, you know, be one of these premiership clubs which just seem to, you know, crash and burn. They seem that they're in the premiership, they're down the bottom fighting for relegation, back up. And, uh, you know, OK, we, we if we get in the playoffs and we get the premiership, it's about two hundred million pounds just over, I think, what we get, and then a few parachute payments and all that. Let's not muck about. That money would protect us for probably a generation, if not two. But you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd rather stay in a championship and have the Millwall that we love and watch rather than take a, a season in the Prem and destroy us. You took my one-liner there. I was going to say, if only a, uh, if a development development company comes into the area and puts loads of houses around us, so we've got loads of fans around us. I think you mentioned the development and the regen, but I do think that is potentially a good thing for us in the club. The key is, obviously, to make sure you put the mill spin on it, and that's the problem, I think. You've got to look at it. You see, the other, the other side of that is, is that you're bringing in loads and loads of properties, 
And the problem is if you don't have the clauses written into those properties going in with noise abatement, noise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then that potentially could cause you big problems. So the stuff what JB is going to build, hopefully he puts, you know, it's all written into the terms about Millwall playing there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you open yourself up. I mean, it's stuff what we looked at when we were doing the battle. It, it, there is potential where you can open yourself up to a lot more grief long term um, just for a short term game. It'd be interesting to see what happens. I think we're the biggest small club in the world for a reason. And I think we wouldn't want to change that for that. So I think we'll take that. And But I guess, Mickey, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. But we'll mention about... Um, your point about criticism of players and how we can go going forward for that. My my thing is, I mean, is there's obviously there's three on here. There's Tony. There's obviously Kai, new newcomer to the area, and he shows they really well. He's got a great opinion. He, he seems to have the knowledge and expertise to to push it forward and whatnot. And we'll give you a plug at the end, so in case anyone's not seen your channel. But I just think we're in we're in a position of you know, is it influence? I don't know. But is it really that great to come out and absolutely slag off a player rather than give some constructive criticism? Because, look, I'm not a football player. I mean, I like watching football. Do I know the difference between, you know, a left-back, a wing-back, a centre-back, whatever? I, I Probably not, to be fair. I like watching the game. I like taking in the whole environment of going to football. But I wouldn't come out and slag a player off something rotten without having some reason for my criticism. And there are, you know, there are platforms out there what are slagging Woods off inside out, week in, week out, saying, oh, shit, is this and that. When I think he's a great, I think he's a good player. I think he's, it, it, for us, he's a good player. Um, mm. And I just think that you've got to be very careful with the way you criticise. I think it's constructively, he's fine. And debate in, in this arena, rather than just getting on your soapbox, soapbox and just slagging a player off heavily, I don't think it, it works. I'm not sure you're going to change that now, though. No, I don't. So social media has created platforms for people to just vent off after a game. The best thing players can do, which they probably do, is they just don't spend any time on social media for a day or two after a bad game or a bad performance because mm -hmm. it all just flushes through. You know, we've probably all had little rows with people on Twitter and, you know, it was pretty crap for an hour or two whilst you're engaged in it. And then, you know, you wake up next morning and it's, because there's something else that comes along that takes yeah. over, you know. And to be fair, Woods, you know, Woods has Woods has played quite well recently. But up to the Forest game, you know, he was pretty average. And in fact, you know, he was what was the game he was dropped for recently, Tony? Was it he, he came back in and played well in the Charlton game? But before the ball, Barnsley was he didn't play. At what was the game before that he was dropped? Was that um, Barnsley? The Swansea game as well. Yeah, but there was one in the game and he just didn't play well, did he? Yeah, Swansea. Yeah. You know, he's been, he's been in a little bit in and out. I mean, he obviously is a good player. Um, but I think there's two things. Firstly, I wouldn't really abuse a player because it's just not in my style. Why would I want to do that? What what benefit is that to me? You know, I think it says a lot about you as a person if you behave that way. But secondly, if you're a player, you have a choice. You either, you know, crumble underneath it or you just think, well, I don't really give a shit what you think, quite frankly. I'm here doing my job. My boss thinks I'm doing a good job and he's the one who picks me and I just get on with it. I think you've all just got to take personal responsibility. For me, I don't see the point in really slaughtering players. I don't mind, you know, saying if I think somebody's not played very well or they're not very yeah. good at X or Y or Z, but I'm not going to call them out every five minutes because there's no point. 
No, before someone pulls it up and shows me, yeah, I've, I've slated Morrison because I think Morrison got to a stage and he knew his knees had gone. He couldn't play. He couldn't. He, he couldn't play two games on the trot. He couldn't play. If he was playing now for us, he wouldn't be playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Yeah, but again, that. But again, for me, that's not Morrison's problem. That's the manager. Why is he picking him and putting him in that position? Yeah. You know. I mean, I'm mad about him and Archer, but only because Archer. Archer lost it because he had other things going on. I think Archer just, you know, confidence, everything else hit. Um, and it was just, it was being... Archer's a not a great goalkeeper. That, that, I'm only saying the players I've slagged off, okay? Yeah. So that no one throws it back on Twitter in a bit and goes, but you've done this. 2014, you've done this. I'm just... yeah, I was about to say, you opened it up by saying about people slagging players off and then you've just gone, you've just named three players that you've dug out in the past, which... Uh... <laughs> yeah, but I've dug them out because of what they are. Do you know, yeah. it's not, I've not gone out to them and just said, oh, they're fucking shit. It was, Archer was because Archer had other things going on. He was, his confidence level had dropped. And when you start losing games and, you know, where is it? I think it was the Plymouth game where he made an absolute fucking hatch. And then after that, you could see his demeans where his confidence levels dropped. Morrison, the same. Morrison's knees weren't in it. You spoke, if you speak to Morrison, Morrison said, you know, he just can't do it anymore. You know, he wants to, he'd love to, but his legs just won't let him do it. But to come out and start slacking off certain players, like me, to come out and come out with Jed or, you know, uh, whoever, Bradshaw or Smith or whoever, and start really hammering him into him, there's no reason for it. They are doing what they're doing. But Two reasons why they do it. One, I would say football is a game of opinion. So what you think of a player could be completely different. And we all sit in the den and you've got one person that sits around you who will absolutely cope one player throughout a whole match. And he's all season, he'll be digging it out and he won't have a good word to say about him. You know, whether it be Fergie, whether it be Morrison, like you said, there'll be someone sitting around you who just hate a player. But... The second part, and this is far more important, social media inherently, like with the news, like with the media, bad news creates drama, creates someone wanting to... to, If I put on my video, Millwall black players are a bunch of CUNCs or Millwall players are a disgrace, I guarantee you I'll have more people watching that video than if I just say Millwall won, whole city won, my, my match review. It's clickbait, and people yeah, like, definitely. and people like creating a storm in a teacup, so that people are watching their teacup um, and drinking out of their teacup, and that's inherently, whether it's constructive, whether it's actually based on a knowledge of football, whether it's actually useful, and whether it's detrimental to the club, is completely relevant because they're not coming from a position where they care about anything else other than when they look at how many views they've got on their uh, YouTube video or how many times their podcast has been downloaded, that is, and how many uh, ad subscriptions they've got or how many sponsors they've got around them, that is what people do it for. You know, they're doing it. You look at Arsenal Fan TV. When you watch, um, you know, everyone would have seen it. The, the reactions to Tottenham where they all kick off and they go mental, and that is exactly what, you know, if they just sat there and, and politely clapped and just went, oh, well done, Tottenham, it wouldn't have the, the effect. But they've become the pantomime that they are. And that's what I think some other fan channels and other fan forums fall into. The, we've got to be more histrionic. We've got to be very detrimental or slag players off or even praise players that they may be friends with or 
go the opposite way. And, and that's just, you're, not, you're never going to change that because that's the way social media works. I was going to say, for some channels, you know, all views are good views at the end of the day and all, all, all um, everyone, you know, people talking about it, it just only gets some more views and, it, and it, um, you know, for them, the views are the main thing. So that's what they do it for. It does drive you. I, look, I understand it. It does drive you. I mean, you know, me and Omar are getting more into into numbers, analytics, and everything else, and it does, and it does drive you, you know, with the podcast and whatnot. But I just think that you know, social media, especially Twitter, I live by that social media is is, is just make believe it's not real. Um, and I think that if you look at it like that, you 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 have an easier life. I think when I was fan on the board, and, and in part with the AMS strategy, um, it. It can be your friend, but it can be your worst enemy as well. And during fan on the board time, I think social media, you know, when the club done something wrong, it was my fault when it had fuck all to do with me. But, you know, I had everyone fucking telling me they're going to do this, that and the other. And, and you just have to take it on. And it's just, I think sometimes, I think it's just the world we're in now. Everybody likes a like, everybody wants this and that. I mean, the guy earlier who was talking, there was a guy on Twitter earlier who was talking about the um, pet manager at Bristol, um, at Birmingham City, and his tweet headline was, pet to leave City. And, you know, he literally done that on purpose so that his clickbait would go through the roof. That's very clever. I liked it. I mean, I retweeted it earlier on our our channel. And if you read the thread, the amount of people who didn't even look at the headline just literally were going, I can't believe he's leaving. What a scumbag and this, that and the other. And you're just thinking, mate, it's just, it's, it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, there you go. I've had my I'm, sure, I'm sure most of the players are used to it, Mickey. I wouldn't, uh, I the, uh, the cushion of eight or 10 grand a week probably helps slightly <laughs> just soften the blow. And to be fair, they've probably all got PR or, or media agents what are, what are running their social media accounts anyway. So it's probably, they've and never it, actually seen anything it, on there at all. And they'll hear worse on the terraces. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Certainly at the dead. Oh, yeah, definitely. A lot of clubs, you know, especially Arsenal, you see, look at Arsenal fan TV, most of their players don't hear nothing in the stands. And they're absolutely, you know, they'll get back home and they'll look at Twitter and think, well, no one said anything to me at the stadium. No, it. It's normally the other way around. They'll, they'll, they'll go to Twitter and think, oh, I, I weren't actually that bad. You know, if I'd have listened to the, what I was being told for about 90 minutes from the Dockers, I'd have thought like I was having a crap game. Yeah. I interviewed um, Alan McKenna the other week, right, Jog. And one thing what he said during it, he said there was there was three guys who used to sit just to the left-hand side of the tunnel. And he said he could play, he could have the best game he's ever had in his life. Whenever he come off the pitch, these three guys used to always call him a C-U-N-T. How fucking shit you are today. Oh, you can't play, you this, that and the other. And he said it didn't matter what he'd done, he... he Every game he went out to try and stop these guys doing it by playing better and better. He said every time he come off, these three guys sat. Just he, he knows knows exactly where they sat, and he said every game he come off, these three guys just absolutely ruined him every game. So you're never going to please everyone, are you? I suppose it's like this: you're going to have people who watch your show, Kai, and Tony's yeah. going to have people who watches his show um, who won't who won't listen to our show and there's people who will probably listen to our show and don't look, watch yours and vice versa and everything else so you know it is what it is see I think we, we don't want to lose though is it, it is a slim line but the real reaction after a game is what it's you know that's what a lot of them channels are about I think because obviously sometimes people wear their heart their sleeve some people might try and go for views and try and be catching headlines but I think a lot of the time the raw emotion walking out of the game 
and I think Phil said it earlier, like you know, you're pissed off with it for a couple of hours, but afterwards, you know, you're you've calmed down and you're kind of put it in context I think so but yeah I think wouldn't want to change that because walking out of the game if you if you win the elation is the best ever if you lose after the play shit you know you're going to walk out devastated and thinking why did we do that so yeah I wouldn't change that I'm going to put you guys on the spot instead and go how many points are we going to get from our last three games and we all make a prediction I hate making predictions but I like holding people accountable if they're wrong sometimes and having a laugh about it so Mickey come on I'm going straight to you first mate Three games to go. Give me how many points we'll finish on. No, I reckon reckon we're going to get six out of nine. Okay. And what place are we going to finish? (laughs) Seventh. Kai? Um, I'm going to go with seven. I think we're going to draw to Blackburn tomorrow and then win the last two. Um, Yes, I reckon we're going to finish seventh. We're going to just miss out by a couple of points. Tony? Nine. Nine, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> why not you know what if, if the players looked here and thought we can do it why not you know they should absolutely give it all they've got three games give it everything win three games all three of them are winnable games go out there give it the best wear the line on your on the on the heart passionately and 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 kind of come back so you can slag him off <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah why not it's our Phil I I got a few, I think we're going to get about four or five points. I think we'll probably QPR have been in free fall recently. Uh, sorry, yeah, QPR have been in free fall. Huddersfield don't know if they'll have anything to play for by the time we play them. Um, Blackburn could be tricky. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go five points. I think a win and two draws. I'm going to go nine as well because why not? We're going to get there. We're going to get in the playoffs. We're going to be like, like, like this, and then we'll be in the Premier League and we won't be able to go to any of the games next season. You know, it'll be that. No, it's such a <laughs> such a crazy season quite literally anything could happen yeah exactly we could literally get naught points you know it's quite conceivable (laughs) we look at it and we think there's three winnable games we don't get any points but that's just Millwall isn't it you know I think that any any possibility is a possibility with us and just see how it goes at least we can't be relegated (laughs) very good point I always look at the seasons like that I don't know if it's anyone else but get to 50 and see where you're at and go from there I mean that's I think that was a Neil Harris mentality and I've kind of took it since so I think it's the best way to look at it get to 50 you're safe and crack on from there I think no that's it exactly win tomorrow you know things go away and then suddenly we're actually you know in a playoff position Mm -hmm. scary (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kai go on and tell us what your show is and what you do uh, so really, um, it's a bit of bit of everything. Really, um, obviously we're not allowed inside the ground, but when we are, uh, I try and do as much full time reaction as possible um, without people obviously gate crashing my um, my videos in the background. Um, but other than that, post match that's when I get home, you know, I just try and to um, kind of really wrap up what I saw really and um, and try and be as diplomatic as possible about the game. You know, if I wasn't happy about something, I'll say it, but I won't, um, obviously, as you said, I won't I won't have a go at the players. Um, I just don't think that's right. Um, and then obviously my pre-match predictions. I don't like making predictions sometimes, you know. You've always got to be optimistic and I always am optimistic. I don't think I've actually predicted a loss yet. Um, maybe I should go the other way around and maybe we'll start winning some games, but that's pretty much what my, my show's about, yeah. Just try and keep it as, um, yeah, real as possible. I'm not too worried about the, the views and stuff like that, but yeah, just try and... Um, What's your account name? Millwall Fan TV. On YouTube and Twitter. Uh, yeah. Well, Tony, you might as well plug yours as well. You don't need it, but you might as well plug it. <laughs> uh, to be fair, um, I love reporting on the game, the the forums that I use. So obviously the YouTube channels, the Mill Drive Homeware, 
me and my boy and and whoever I, whichever one of my boys that I coach comes along to a game, whether it be all around the country, they get to report on the game. So it's normally done driving home from the ground. Um, we love doing an FA Cup uh, live draw, and occasionally we'll do some uh, question and answer. But it's a it's a channel for for all ages, I would say, and you know, just the passion of of our club. You know, it's, it is there for familiar fans to come on and comment. You know, most of the comments that I get is what what makes it what it is. You know, it's interactive. And I like to, to have that kind of banter with fans. And a lot of the fans from other clubs will, will dig me out because I'm, I'm not normally very complimentary about other teams. But I try to be as unbiased as possible. But it's called the Mill Drive Home for a reason. And obviously, the uh, Twitter is uh, at Mill TT. There we go. You got anything to plug, Phil? Nothing at all, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you're new around here be sure to subscribe and leave a review oh. mickey loves seeing the reviews we get on our side so sure we... hi andrew <laughs> be sure to leave a review for us uh, subscribe to the pod obviously follow us on twitter at that meal pod or drop us an email that meal podcast at gmail.com three games to go what's to say we can't do it come on Millwall. mickey come on the lines Picture this, you're fully immersed in your podcast because in the back of your mind, you're not trying to recall when that deadline was supposed to be or stressing to keep everyone updated on next steps. MeetMonday.com, a work management platform that makes having peace of mind easy. With Monday.com, all your work lives in one centralized place. You can automate updates to keep team members up to speed and ensure nothing falls through the cracks, even while you're enjoying your favorite podcast. To start your 14-day free trial, go to Monday.com. Stay cool this summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.